church. But now he, his ministry has taken him to, uh, to help those who are in the midst of suffering and pain um, of losing someone that they love, uh, something that God has uniquely qualified you for. And um, so... Let's, uh, let, me, let, let me pray for Dan as he brings us the word this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for Dan, and we thank you for his willingness to share with us this morning uh, from your word. Lord, we pray that you would strip away anything that is Dan's idea or that's Dan's uh, um, uh, uh, hobby horse, Lord, and that you would just show us anything that is of your word, Lord, that you would show us the message that you have laid on his heart, Lord, that he would just be your mouthpiece, Lord, to speak to your people uh, and, and speak directly to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So I'm going to start with a, uh, a prop. Where's this from? Everybody knows it, don't they? He recognized the smile. And how many smiles are on our face from Amazon packages that come? Now, this particular box is from our home, uh, and our UPS man does not like to deliver it. Every time he sees it in his truck, he grunts because this is what delivers our dog food. And um, they are heavy, very, very heavy. And um, my, uh, my family loves Amazon They, uh, believe it or not, during the holiday season, right now, they get 500 orders a second between Thanksgiving and Christmas. 500 500 orders a second. It blows the mind. One comedian made this comment. He says, I'm using Amazon to build my new home. I'm doing this by saving the boxes for when I'm eventually homeless. Trying to get the point that, you know, you, you can excessively shop. And this time of year, we're so filled with consumerism. And so we're going to talk this morning about how to conquer consumerism with the keys to contentment and what the Bible says about contentment. I think that one of the um, things that steals our joy the most in life, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, is your lack of contentment. Some people spend their whole lives searching for that thing that's really going to make them happy. And never, it seems, has so many wanted so much and found so little happiness once they got it. This is hardly surprising when we're considered we're bombarded on a daily basis with advertisements whose sole purpose is to say your life is incomplete without this. And uh, I used to be one of those suckers that watched those infomercials late at night. And, uh, and then the package comes, I'm like, I don't remember ordering this. But it sells me, you know, and so I stay away from those, those infomercials because they have a way of just convincing you that your life is just sad without it. And um, some people call this the disease of affluenza. You've heard of influenza, right? This is the disease of affluenza, the virus of affluence and prosperity. And there are hundreds of examples to which we could point to that proves that wealth and prosperity and material things don't satisfy. They only create in us a desire for more. Typically, the richest people in the world are the most miserably unhappy. All you have to do is follow a lot of these uh, people, these Hollywood stars that seem to have everything, but they also have with it addictions to drugs and to alcohol. They're continuing trying to make themselves happy. Um, 
So they have it all, but there's an emptiness. There's a hunger that can't be satisfied, a thirst that just can't be filled. And uh, you hear about that like with people who win the lottery. So many of the people who have won lottery wish they had never won it. Uh, many have fallen into deep depression and even suicide. Um, and so having all the money you want doesn't necessarily make you happy. U.S. News and World Report uh, many years ago did this survey of people uh, regarding the American dream. Now, some of us may have different ideas of what the American dream is, but I think in this survey they were talking about you know, having a nice house, having a nice car, you know, and vacations and having all the things that you want. So that's the American dream. So the people, this article said, the people that made even a little bit of money, like $25,000 a year, those people said that in order to fulfill the American dream, they would need on average about $55,000 a year to make them happy and fulfilled. And the same survey then also was taken of people who make $100,000 a year. And those $100,000 a year people said it would take them about $195,000 for them to fulfill what they consider the American dream. So in other words, the American dream usually lies nearly twice the distance away, at least financially. But let me ask you a question. If people are so unhappy with what they have, why do they want more of it? Well, we're going to kind of talk about that uh, today. You know, King Solomon was the richest man in the world at his time. And in the, he writes this book of Ecclesiastes. And in the second chapter, verses 9 through 11, he kind of brags about what he's gotten done. He says, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. But then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." So we're going to talk about what the Apostle Paul called the secret of contentment. So for that, I'd like you to grab your Bibles if you have them or um, pull one out from under the chair. And I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. That's very close to the end of the Bible. 1 John 2. If you're having a pew Bible, it's page 1021. 1 John chapter 2. Beginning with verse 15, John says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only three things. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So what does it mean to not love the world? When God created the land and the sea, the, the oceans, the plants, uh, the, the heavens, the stars, the sun, he declared it all good. 
So if we're not to love this world, it doesn't include the things that God has made. It also doesn't include the people that are on this planet because the Bible says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what is it that we're not supposed to love in this passage? Well, I think we're not to love the world and its values that are rebelling against God. The world that wants to have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus. A world that teaches you to live on your own terms, to satisfy your own lusts and sinful cravings. That's, what, that's the world that Jesus does not want us to love. Matter of fact, James 4, 4 says, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. You can't serve God and serve the values of this world. And it talked about three different things. So what's the craving for physical pleasure? That is anything that has to do with our bodies. And so, and unfortunately, Satan doesn't have any original ideas. He takes what God creates for good and he twists it. So if it's, if it's eating, the temptation is to overeat. If it's sleeping, the temptation is to be excessive, do excessive sleeping and, and being lazy. If it's drinking, it's not about a glass of wine. It's about how much can you consume and lose your senses and your reasoning. Drugs and alcohol are sexual appetites. It's not about a union with a man and a wife anymore. It's sex on your own terms with anyone you want. These are the values, these are the cravings for physical pleasure that are in this world that we have to combat. Then there's the cravings for everything we see, the, our material possessions. Romans 12.2 says we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Bible commentator John Stott says that we're not to be conformed and we're not to be contaminated by this world. So how do we do that? How do we protect ourselves from all this consumerism that's around us? Well, as Christians, the answer is finding contentment. It's about an issue of the heart. So I want you to turn with me now. I have three passages that I want you to look at in your Bible, and then the rest will be on the screen. But turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. The Pew Bible it would be page 982. Philippians 4, this is the passage where ta Paul talks about how he has found contentment. And this really is mind-blowing. It's been something that I have been praying would be true about my life. And I'm definitely not there yet. Um, but I'm convicted about this. So Paul establishes the church at Philippi. And the church at the beginning didn't have very many resources. But as it grew, it wanted to take care of Paul um, and help him. So this is what Paul says to the church, beginning with verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word content in the original language means self-sufficient, adequate, 
needing no assistance. But I think what Paul had was God's sufficiency. He didn't have any needs because he was content with what he had. So my definition of contentment is this. Contentment is an attitude of our hearts that enables us to trust and rest in God for our provisions in every situation. To rest and trust in God. It's an issue of the heart. Contentment comes in knowing that God's going to take care of me and that he'll speak into my life when it comes to my possessions. Paul had learned the secret of not living life based on the conditions around him. He could be content in prison, right? He was in prison, and what did he do? He sang. He worshipped. He wasn't complaining. He was content in prison or to be out of prison. His happiness wasn't based on his situation. It was based on his relationship with Christ. He knew he had all he needed in the Lord, for it was Christ that gave him strength for life. But notice in these verses, Paul isn't only talking about being content uh, when he was hungry and brought down low, but he was also content when he had plenty of resources and food. I think this is very important. He needed God's help just as much when he had very little than when he had a lot. But the temptation is when you get a lot, you don't need God as much. And that's the danger. I think there's a tendency for us to put our trust in our things, whether it's a lot of money in the bank or you've got great investments in the stock market. Um, we kind of feel good or secure with our stuff when things are in place, whether it's being having a huge house, a nice car, a boat, the, you know, the American dream. But the fact of the matter is we need um, Jesus as much when we have a lot than when we have a little. So I want to challenge you with a prayer, and this is the last passage I want you to turn to, Proverbs chapter 30. Pew Bible, it's page 551. Most of the Proverbs was written by Solomon, but this chapter in Proverbs 30 was written by a, name, a man named Agur. We don't know too much about him, but he has this prayer in Proverbs 30, beginning with verse 7. He says to the Lord, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. He didn't want to lie. He wanted to be a man of integrity. That was his first prayer. But listen to his second prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Basically, he's saying, God, please provide me with what I need. But don't give me too much stuff because I may be tempted to say, who is God? I don't really need him. I've got everything I need. So, God, don't give me too much. But on the other side, God, don't give me too little um, that I don't have my basic needs met. Because if that happens, I might steal. I might disgrace your name. Could you pray a prayer like that? Could you say to God, God, give me riches, neither riches nor poverty, just enough to meet my needs? Can you hold things loosely? And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. What if it was taken away? 
What if Jesus told you to do what he told the rich man to do in Luke 18? To sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Now before you think of all the reasons why Jesus would never ask you to sell everything you own and give it to the poor, ask yourself, what if God laid it on my heart to give away my stuff, my lifestyle, and give it to the poor? Could you and I be like the people in Whoville? Remember Whoville? Good, one of my favorite Christmas stories is how the Grinch stole Christmas. And um, Whoville was a place that was full of joy. And, but the morning of Christmas, they wake up, there's no presents. There's no decorations. There's no Christmas tree. There's not even any food. He takes the little piece of food that was meant for the mouse and takes that away. Not to mention the glorious roast beast that they were supposed to have. But they still woke up Christmas morning, right? And I love this scene. They're gathered together and nobody's crying. No one's whining. No one's saying, where's my gifts? They're just standing in a circle and singing, Fahu, Fores, Dahu, Dores, welcome Christmas, come this way. And then what happened to the Grinch? Well, let me use his words. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. I love that story. It just touches you. Um, okay, but enough of a children's story. Let's get back to the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. Can we have that up? Yes. And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our life is not about our things. And that's often the problem. We feel like our stuff makes up for who, who we are. We end up spending a lot of money to fill a hole that never gets filled. And this can happen with anything. Let me give you a silly example. Okay, since 1987, I have been collecting what used to be baseball cards. Some of you are old enough to remember when baseball cards' purpose was to use a clothespin and put it in the spikes of your bike, right? To get that cool sound going. Mickey Mantle cards, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, all spinning in a wheel instead of in a bank where it could make tens of thousands of dollars. We didn't know any better. I usually opened the packs for the bubble gum that was inside and tossed the cards. But it's, it's something that I began collecting over 30 years ago. And now it's mostly football and basketball cards. So I have, you know, Tom, Tom Brady's rookie card, Shaquille O'Neal, in a special case so no one can touch it. And uh, I've got um, Michael Jordan's rookie card as a baseball player. He played professional baseball one year, so I was able to get that. And... Um, now one of my favorite cards is the 1992 Olympics. Uh, that was the year where an archer shot 
a fiery arrow and lit the torch. I don't know if any of you remember that story. It's pretty incredible. On the back is the dream team with Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and uh, David Robinson, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Yeah, all, it's all these people. It's one of my favorite cards, and it's rare. There's only 100 of them in the world, and I like this card, so don't take it. Now, they have to sell you on more glamorous things. So more and more cards are autographed. And not only that, now they have cards that gives you a piece of their jersey. So I've got a card here of an autograph of a guy from the Giants, who I don't like, but I got the card. Uh, and it has two pieces of his jersey, as well as a piece of the football uh, that was played in one of his games. And you can see that afterwards. Keep your fingers off it, but you can look at it. Um, so I like collecting cards. There's nothing wrong with that. I have thousands and I have books uh, with pages and pages of cards. And I, I, most of the time, I enjoy just kind of going through the cards. And when someone gets famous, I move them up to the rank to the first page. And when they you know, mess up, they go to the back of the book. And anyway, I enjoy that. But there are times when I'm at like places like Walmart and I'm supposed to be just there to grocery shop and I've got a limited budget I'm supposed to work with, but there's that whole aisle near the checkout with all the trading cards. And I'm like, oh, I want more. I gotta get a new rookie card. I gotta find this guy and this guy. And it's like, suddenly my contentment with my notebooks is no longer contentment and I just want more. Now it's okay for me to buy them occasionally, but I'm telling you, that thing could become an idol, and the day it does is the day I need to give that away. Um, but that's just one example. We all have things that are very, very important to us, but we have to hold them loosely. See, the problem isn't, the problem is not that we have stuff. The problem is that our stuff has us, and that's when it becomes an issue. It's not a problem to have things, but if those things have us and controlling us, then we're in trouble. Jesus warns us that it's very difficult for a wealthy person to get into heaven. Why? Because you can't serve God in money. Pastor C.J. Mahaney, there's two books that I would really recommend. C.J. Mahaney's a pastor who wrote a book called Worldliness, Resisting the Seduction of a Fallen World, and a book called Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Um, very, very challenging books that my wife and I have read together and uh, very, very challenging. And C.J. Mahaney um, says that there are three traps we have to avoid. The first one is when we start saying, my stuff makes me happy. Now, there is a problem for people who, when life doesn't go the, their way, they go shopping to feel better. When that Amazon package is waiting there at your front door and it's just your heart goes pitter-patter and you get so excited with your things and, and you just feel happy. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have Amazon Prime or anything like that. But if we're drawing our sense of well-being and happiness based on packages that we get, that could be a problem. So my stuff makes me happy is a problem. Number two, my stuff makes me important. That's dangerous too. Remember in 1 John, it talked about craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see. And the third thing was a pride in our achievements and possessions. 
When we become proud or arrogant and boastful about the kind of job we have, and we've climbed that corporate ladder and we're finally, we finally made it, or pride in our education, the size of our house, the car, it could be anything, we rob God of the glory that he deserves, who gives so generously. So my stuff makes me happy, my stuff makes me important, and the third trap is when you start saying, my stuff makes me feel secure. And we're all guilty of this. Uh, you know, Jesus tells a story in Luke 12 about a man who had so many good crops, he decided he was going to tear down the old ones and build bigger ones, and then he was just going to relax and forget about it and eat, drink, and be merry. We've heard that phrase before. It's not from Robin Hood. It is from Jesus' story about this man, and then God says, your life is over. And God took him out of the world, and he died, and he didn't get to enjoy any of his possessions. And then Jesus ends with these words, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. See, these all have to do with our heart. Where is our heart when it comes to our things? Here's a couple more passages. Hebrews 13:5. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Same thing is said in 1 Timothy 6, where it says, Yet true godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Can't take it with you, in other words. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be what? Content. If you have food and clothing, which everyone thankfully has clothing on today, and if you have clothing, and if you have food in your belly, if you had breakfast or you're going to have lunch today, we're told to be content with those things. And then it goes on. Um, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, it's not money, it's not money, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. People who have so much, it's a tendency to wander our faith wanders away from our trust in God when we begin trusting in our possessions. So how do we do this as Christians? How do we find contentment? What is that secret that Paul's talking about? Well, let me give you a few ideas. Number one, realize that the greatest gift you have is your salvation. Nothing should even come close to that. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have the gift of eternal life. And, that, and sometimes we forget about that. The world can take anything else away from us, but they can't take our salvation away. So that We may get fired from our jobs. We may not be able to afford the things that we want to, but no one steals the salvation. There's a story about a millionaire named William Randolph Hearst who invested a fortune in collecting art treasures from all around the world. And one day, Hearst is reading a description about a valuable art item which he sent his agent abroad for months to find. To the surprise of Hearst, the priceless masterpiece was stored in none other than his own warehouse. The multimillionaire had been searching all over the world for a treasure that he already possessed. 
Contentment isn't something the world can give us. Contentment comes from knowing that we have Jesus. And that's the greatest thing that, that we can own. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Who can put a price on peace with God? God's no longer angry with us because of our sin, but he loves us because Jesus, his son, died in our place for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So remember the greatest gift you have, number one. Number two, be filled with the Spirit. In order for you to really figure out what God wants you to have or not have or what you should be giving away, you've got to be in tune with the Spirit of God. And that comes through your devotional time, your prayer life, your quiet time, your, your um, reading of his word. We will find it easier for God to speak into our lives. Has any, anyone ever given you a gift and said, oh, God just laid this on my heart to give this to you? Or maybe you've done that for somebody else. How does God lay something on your heart? Well, when we're filled with the Spirit, then we can hear God's voice better. And he will challenge us and tell us how to use our things and what we should be giving away and what we should be purchasing. Number three, have an attitude of gratitude. I love Thanksgiving for that, just to be focused on what we're thankful for. James 1.7 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So give thanks for what you have instead of dwelling on what you don't have. No matter how little you might have, it's still more than you deserve. God owes us nothing. You know, I was reading an article this week about some of the people who had their homes and cars burned down in the California fires. And many of them said this was the best Thanksgiving they ever had. Now how can that be? Because they were content, not with their possessions that were burned up in the fire, not with their car that was destroyed by fire, but they had each other, they had their life, and they were grateful for what they had, the gift of life. And so we should rejoice uh, that, that God loves us. It's expression of God's love in the gifts he gives us, but realizing that we have so much to be thankful for, and it's not our possessions that really matter. Number four, and this is a challenging one, be generous with your time, your money, and your possessions. Be generous. And I may rattle you a little bit, but I'm going to throw this out. I, I don't think it's a huge sacrifice if you give up clothing um, that you don't like anymore or that doesn't fit and you, and you give that away to other people. That's not a huge sacrifice if you end up just replacing it with other clothes or you donate furniture to the Salvation Army just to get more furniture. Um, for most of us, that's not really a big sacrifice. What is it? It's a tax write-off. Yeah? And there are bigger things. Have you ever given till it hurts? like really sacrificed for somebody else. I'm telling you, it is a great feeling when you do that, when it hurts you a little bit. Didn't Jesus give until it hurt? He sure did. 
he did for us. And we're to be imitators of God. Many of us, it's easy to write a check, but to sacrifice our time, well, there's a challenge for us. Um, you hear about the Paris Foundation here, and that's a great opportunity to serve. And some of us are talking now about maybe starting uh, Celebrate Recovery, a recovery program for the people in Elkton. And we're going to need lots of help with that, and you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks and months ahead. But are we willing to be content with what we have or a better question is, are we willing to live with less? We don't need to sell our stuff because it's all bad. If we're going to give things that's away, it's because Christ compels us to care for the poor, the outcast, the widow, and the orphan. The great uh, 18th century theologian, John Wesley, wrote one time about how he could, got convicted about his stuff. He went out and he purchased a whole bunch of pictures for his room to hang on the wall. And he, in the midst of hanging those pictures, there was a knock on the door and it was a chambermaid who had come. And it was a cold wintry day and he noticed that she only had a thin linen gown to protect her against the cold. So he reaches into his pockets to give her money to buy a coat. And he found he had very little money left because he spent it all on these pictures hanging on his wall. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit came. And this is what John Wesley said. He said, Will my master say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have decorated your walls with the money that might have protected this poor creature from the cold. Are not your hanging pictures the blood of this poor maid? Wow! Can you imagine hearing that from God? He was so convicted, and so what John Wesley ended up doing was he decided that he was able to live with a certain amount of money. And if God gave him any more, and he did, as he grew, he become, became more affluent, but he never changed his standard of living, and he decided anything above this amount would be given away to the poor, and that he would live within the standard and put a cap on his spending. And it revolutionized his life. Another thing to do, it's a very simple phrase, pay be, uh, pray before you pay. Pray before you pay. If you struggle with impulse buying, hit the pause button and pray first. Sleep on it. Seek counsel. So many things that feel right at the moment are less critical and less attractive after we allow the adrenaline to stop coursing through our veins. And sometimes if you're going to do a large purchase, sleep on it. It's amazing how many things uh, don't feel as needful after we've taken some time. So if you're a person that struggles with uh, impulse buying, pray before you pay. Larry Burkett was a great Christian finance guy, and he said that every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Do you hear that? Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. Why is that? Because God owns it all. God owns everything we have. It's already his. So when we decide something about buying things or giving it away, God has something to say. It's a spiritual decision. And then finally, number six, I want to challenge you to hold everything loosely that you have. Whether it be your job 
or your football cards. Um, everything should be held loosely. You ever play that game where you have something when you were a kid and you made a tight fist and then the other person's trying to pry open your hands to get to it? Well, that's how it is sometimes with our possessions. We hold on to things so tightly instead of letting loose and letting God take them. And if we hold things and people loosely, it's not going to be so painful for God to take it away if he chooses to. Hold everything loosely, even people. I, uh, boy, it's been 16 years. Um, when I realized that it was God's choice to take my first wife home to be with the Lord at 38, suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, I did not have the attitude of Job. Remember what Job did? Job lost all his finances. He lost all his children. And then he lost his health. And what did he say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't have that attitude uh, when I found out that my first wife was going to die. But I remember her saying to me, her name was Lori, I remember her saying, Dan, this is just a couple weeks before she died, she says, Dan, you're going to be a better pastor after this. And I got to admit that my first reaction to that was that night, I went to prayer and I said, God, if this is about me becoming a better pastor, I'd rather not be a pastor and I'd like to keep my wife, please. And I was holding on tightly to something that I didn't want to let go, my best friend. And yet God said, open your hands. And it was really, really challenging to me. And what God said to me after I said, I'd like to keep my wife, a very still voice in my spirit said, that's not your call. That's not for you to decide. And I had to choose to surrender. And it was very hard. To do. We need to hold everything and everyone loosely so that if God chooses to take away your good job or take away people in your life or uh, the things that, that, you're, that you possess that are so important to you, if he chooses to take it away, it'll be less painful. So in conclusion, in order to conquer consumerism, and the world's idea of what brings happiness, we need to practice contentment. And we do that by remembering that we're already rich in Christ. And we remember that by being thankful for what we already have, to pray before we pay, and hold things loosely and give generously. The one thing that many of us miss in that story that Jesus, about the rich man who told him to give everything up, Right before he says it, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at this man and loved him. You see, God loves us. And God knows the things that can take us away from him. And sometimes he may ask to take away some things that we don't want to give up. But Jesus does love you. He wants you to take care of others and then trust him to take care of you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy.
and your grace. Thank you for forgiving us for the times we have spent or held on to things and people tighter than we should. Help us to hold things loosely before you, to know that every good gift comes from above. Lord, we don't want to be consumed by our stuff. We want to be consumed with you. So fill our heart with joy and with contentment and allow us to serve others with the resources that you've given to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.